series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. Not only will you get insights into some fascinating innovations, but you may also even relate to their stories, especially if you're a little unconventional or non-conforming. As with all science and technology, what these women do for a living has a real impact on all of our lives, and we don't often realise it. But here on Innovation, I'm also giving women a platform for them to be heard and for us to be inspired and uplifted by what they've learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talked to Thendril Kamal, who is an aerospace engineering student and aspires to go to space one day, hopefully with NASA. My name is Thendril Kamal and I'm almost 20 years old. I'm an aerospace engineering student at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. And um, ever since I was a little girl, my biggest dream has become since then, you know, to be uh, to become the first Indian woman to set foot on Mars. And um, ever since the age of 16, I've sort of been working on checking off the checklist and the requirements of, you know, things to uh, to do as you progress and eventually apply to become an astronaut candidate. And one of those um, checklist uh, things includes, you know, getting a degree, uh, getting at least a master's degree in any STEM field. And I've had a passion for aerospace engineering since I was very young, uh, which is what I'm currently pursuing in university. And uh, along this amazing journey, uh, you know, that uh, with this, you know, seemingly insurmountable, you know, mountain of a goal, to be, as you as you as you may understand, wanting to become an astronaut is no easy feat. Um, I have been working on um, you know sharing my dreams, sharing my journey, and um, sharing my passions for space with other people on social media platforms like Instagram and Twitter, um, where I am hoping to inspire other women of color just like myself that the sky isn't the limit. This is who I am. Well, I love that the sky isn't the limit. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that. Um, gosh, I mean, first of all, congratulations, because I never would have guessed with your maturity and kind of focus, like even in the first few moments of speaking with you, I mean, it's amazing that you're just 20 years old because you just seem so like focused on where you want to get to. Um, Thank you. And I guess it does, it does take that, doesn't it? Because NASA... Making it to NASA is just so competitive, I've heard. Yes, yeah. But I thought you are at NASA. Oh, no, I, I'm I'm currently still in college. I can't be at NASA. <laughs> you can't be yet. So the outfit I, as well. This, this flight suit is um, sort of a symbol of my dreams and how far I want to get. I was, a, I, I believe it was my 16th birthday when my dad came up to me and, and he said, if you want to become an astronaut, you got to look the part. And um, we had this flight suit tailored for me. <laughs> so awesome. But where are you living now then? I'm, I'm currently in the US. I'm currently in Indiana uh, at Purdue University where I'm pursuing my degree. Okay. So when are you going to make your first application to NASA? Uh, so currently when I apply to apply to NASA, to apply to jobs at NASA, you have to be a US citizen. So that's something I'm working on as well. Once I get my degree, I would be working towards getting my American citizenship, and then and then only then would I be able to apply to NASA. Uh, it's a work in progress, and um, that that is definitely one of my dreams. And I'm working on, you know, as I said before, uh, ticking all the boxes on the checklist to get there. So um, hopefully, it's not too far off in the near future. 
Well, I still absolutely, I'm more convinced now that NASA needs me. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> My question to you would be like, what gave you so much determination to have a dream like this? Absolutely. Um, you know, when when I was younger, this was a very common response whenever, you know, I would tell people or, you know, mostly the adults, whenever I would tell the adults, uh, you know, there's the question, they would come up to you and they would be like, so kiddo, what do you want to do when you're older? And then, you know, I would just go like, I'm going to become an astronaut. And, uh, you know, they, they'd laugh and they'd be like, oh, yeah, she'll grow out of it. And um, I never did. It, it stuck with me since I was young. And um, this, you know, the same um, wide eyed curiosity that I had for space and, you know, Mars and just understanding the worlds beyond our own, that wide eyed curiosity never left me since I was about, you know, 13 years old when I first started reading books, when I first started, you know, like surfing the web and uh, trying to understand about um, space, reading as much as, as, as much as I could about it. And uh, I remember, you know, eventually coming, you know, as you read about space, you know, the moon landings, you can't miss it. It's a such a huge part of uh, space, you know, the space race um, during the Cold War. I came across it and uh, I was reading all about the Apollo missions. And, you know, I have a great deal of respect for all of the astronauts who made it past that frontier. And I remember asking myself the question, OK, so why haven't you know, it's been almost 50 years um, at the time. It's been almost 50 years. And yet there still hasn't been a single woman to set foot on the lunar surface yet. And how are we going to start thinking about missions to Mars and, you know, um, you know, establishing permanent human presences on uh, the moon and Mars when we haven't even landed a woman there yet? And uh, I was I was just confused and I didn't understand why. And um more I read about it, I, I saw how shockingly few the number of female astronauts there are. Um, you know, every year when NASA selects its cohort of astronaut candidates, women comprise a very small percent of um, the graduating astronaut class. And uh, and I wondered, well, you know, I if, if why why is this the reason? Because I I know that there were many girls just like myself, you know, just as motivated, if not more than I am, um, to go to space, to do these, you know, seemingly impossible things, to, to do these things, you know, to go where, you know, seemingly no man has gone before. Women wanted to be there. Women wanted and to they're be really, there. And they're really suitable for space exactly. travel. They're lighter. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That, is, that, that is one of the reasons as well. And uh, I wondered why. And, you know, reading more about the women astronauts, you know, especially Kalpana Chawla, Sunita Williams, the first women, uh, Indian women astronauts. And um, I was really inspired. And I, you know, I, I told myself, well, if they can do it, then why, why can't I? And if Neil Armstrong can leave his um, footprints on the moon as a legacy, why can't I or why can't another woman? Uh, and um, I think for every, oh, it's impossible, or for every, ah, she'll grow out of it, or every, nah, you know, that's at, least, that's at least 50 or 60 years away. For every single one of those I get, I get more and more empowered, you know, that, that's what tells me, okay, well, I'm on the right track then. I'm, what I'm doing is, is right for who I am. And uh, what I'm doing is, I, I hope it inspires other girls like myself. Um, so... Long answer short, um, there, I think there, there was a British mountaineer that was asked the question, why do you want to climb Mount Everest? And um, he said, simply because it is there. And why do you want to go to Mars? You know, number one, because it's a passion. Um, learning about this planet is, it's, it's simply amazing. And um, 
building rockets is something I've wanted to do, building rockets, building space for It's something I've wanted to do since I was young. And for the simple reason, why do you want to go to Mars? For the simple reason, because it is there and because it is waiting to be conquered, just like another peak. Um, and it it would be one of humanity's greatest adventures. And I'm hoping to ride sort of the coattails of this adventure into space. Gosh, it's so interesting listening to you um, because I... With all my engineering, I have never, ever had a desire to go to another planet. I am just so wanting to fix the issues and problems we have here on Earth. And there are many. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, um, it's really interesting hearing you because, you know, mountains, I really understand. You know, after I climbed Kilimanjaro, I was like, oh, I want to keep going. I want to climb Aconcagua, you know, like all the other peaks. Um, but I just, I just uh, don't get, you know, I really do understand all of the challenges that come up as a result of wanting to get to Mars and all the technologies that are being developed and, you know, how those technologies get adapted to solving solutions here on Earth. Um, but the actual journey, I mean, it's going to take a long time for you to get there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's going to be no easy feat. Um, on average, give or take, it takes about six to nine months to get to Mars. And that's that's on a good day when it's when it's at its closest to the Earth. Um, so it it's as you said, it's no easy feat. And um, I think one of uh, another big reason as to why um, some people are really against, you know, space exploration in general can be, oh, the costs of it are too many and the costs of, um, you know, funding space exploration could be better um, diverted to things that are more pressing on Earth. And this is a very valid concern. And um, being a proponent of, you know, uh, being a climate change activist myself, I, I, of course, I 100% believe that there are some very urgent and pressing problems on Earth that have to be addressed. Um, I think, however, when you see sort of the trajectory of um, the way technology progressed during the space age and uh, during the height of the space age, um, as you said, there are a lot of technology spinoffs that were derived from NASA working on the Apollo missions, you know, from the vacuum cleaner to um, actually, I think the biggest one really is the miniaturization of technology. So the reason that we're even able to communicate to each other via this laptop and not a massive supercomputer that fills up an entire an, an entire room uh, was because of the Apollo um, missions need for you know miniaturized miniaturizing technology, um, which you know led to the need for you know we need to make all the technology we have as fast as possible, as powerful as possible into as small a package as possible because we need to fit it onto this you know essentially tin can, which is what it was, and shoot it up to space um, with as less payload as possible possible uh, because you know the heavier the payload the more the money it costs to to launch it into space um and um so this led to a lot of technology spin-offs and there are a lot of pressing issues for example global warming really i think is the biggest one of the biggest issues um and i know a lot of scientists that ha- that have been working um on understanding you know mars being terraformed is still you know an idea that's I think light years away it's it's something that's not currently feasible however when we understand more about how mars lost her atmosphere and how for example you know what we could do um you know albeit you know through artificial processes to you know 
maybe make Mars more habitable. This is an idea being floated, but it is actively being worked on by scientists. Um, and one of the end goals of working on like, you know, understanding how we could go about terraforming Mars isn't actually to end up terraforming Mars. It's to find solutions to maybe slow down or even reverse the processes, the global warming process happening on Earth. And um, and I, I don't want to say Mars, I don't want to call Mars as sort of like a, a backyard for testing our equipment because um, Mars is too far and too expensive to call it a playground to test our um, to test our equipment on. But it is something that we can test our science against. And, um, you know, when Mars, you know, happens to be sort of like, you know, the parameters, um, it's it, it is more or less similar to Earth. So understanding how, uh, you know, how things work in space and how we can go about mitigating issues in space can help us understand more about the planet we live on and mitigate mitigating some of the issues that we have here. Um, and another big uh, another big issue that could be solved by working on the missions to Mars um, would be the you know the hunger crisis, the global hunger crisis here on planet Earth, where you know you have millions of starving people all over the planet. Um, even in you know developed countries like America, um, there are starving planet. Uh, there are starving people on each and every single inch of this planet, which is which is a very tragic statistic because um, we're in the 21st century. We've made so many advancements. We've we've progressed so much as a species, and and yet if you know we can't put you know food on everybody's plate on the planet, it you know three times a day. It it is something. It is a travesty. I would say. However, working on you know um, how. Well, you know, mission to Mars, you know, having like taking six to nine months and, uh, you know, it should be enough like the the food that the crew carries with them to Mars should be enough to sustain them for at least a year, a year or two before they can start growing their own crops and and, you know, becoming uh, self-sustained on the planet. Understanding how we would, um, you know, work on rationing that food, understanding how we could, you know, maybe pack um, denser calories into smaller amounts of food, understanding all of these things will help us solve, you know, larger issues that we have on Earth. So while a lot of people choose to focus on the problem itself, I like to say I like to tell them to see space as one of, you know, the long possible potential long-term solutions to these problems that we have on Earth. And I'm not saying that means we should divert all of our funding towards Mars and ignore all of the issues we have on Earth. That should be focused on as well. But what NASA does is a very small fraction of what the U.S. spends as a whole on its country. And, um, uh, you know, NASA budget already being extremely small with the, the research that they're doing up there is very important, both for you know the content continuity of our species and to solve a lot of the long-term issues we have here on the planet so i think it's important that we focus on the benefits we can get out of space exploration to ourselves as well as a byproduct of you know focusing on uh, something as huge as a mission to mars you're so going to mars Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll hold like, you to it. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to say I've been consoling myself for a while now that space exploration is actually really uh, valid and important for saving our planet, mm -hmm. even though the actual ambition is out there. Mm -hmm. um, I've convinced myself that space exploration and air experimentation is really important for helping us back here, whether that's mining for elements or whatever it may be. Um, and so it kind of just justifies how much is being spent. 
I still just can't get my head around how people would want to be in a capsule for nine months traveling. <laughs> so that's what I still can't get over, but maybe I'll get there with time. Um, but, you know, in listening to you, you are so um, knowledgeable and just so confident in the way you carry yourself. Like, you know, why wouldn't you be selected to go to Mars? I mean, I completely, in these few minutes of speaking to you, I completely see why NASA snapped you up. Um, but like, what have been the limiting factors of getting Asian women into space? Like, yeah. Let's yeah. get honest that's, here. Yeah, I, uh, that's a, I understand that question. Um, at least I can speak from the experience of being an Indian woman. And um, I think, you know, one of, uh, when, when I speak to other girls like myself who once had dreams, you know, in space or, um, you know, when they were younger, they dreamed of it. And then eventually they decided to pursue, as they call it, more stable career paths. Um, and this is a perfectly valid, um, you know, perfect, perfectly valid reasoning. Um, I think one of, at least from my experience, one of the biggest limiting factors can be societal pressure and it can be societal pressure to um essentially hey i mean dreams like that they're not assured and i you know becoming an astronaut candidate it's it's extremely difficult um if i remember correctly in 2016 nasa had i believe 18000 applications and um from those 18000 applications barely you know a handful of people are selected um every other year um I, I would say give or take 20 to 22 people. And um, it, it's it's an extremely rigorous testing process. The training is rigorous. It can last, you know, up, it, it's it's up to a couple of years. And um, being as rigorous as, as it is, it, it, it essentially is a weed out process and, you know, to pick the best of the best. And the very idea of going through this process can seem very daunting. And because of that, I understand why people can think of it as not an assured career path. It, it definitely isn't assured. And um, I've heard stories of astronauts who have had to try uh, veteran astronauts today who have had to apply, you know, tens of times who have, who, have, who have applied more than 12, 13 times before they ended up being selected as an astronaut candidate and, and even got to fly on their first mission to the ISS. Um, so it, it is in no way, I would say, you know, in, in the beginning, it doesn't sound like a stable career path at all. And a lot of people, um, financial challenges can be another barrier, uh, in order to sustain yourself until you apply, you know, to become an astronaut, you work as an engineer because, um, you don't just become an astronaut, you work in your STEM field and you, you know, you earn your master's degree and you can, you know, go on to earn a PhD or, you know, but you will also need, you know, years of experience. So it's not something you do overnight. And to sustain yourself until you achieve that goal, it can seem like a very daunting prospect. And I understand why a lot of people, essentially, the dream falls out, the dream stops. And um, I understand that this can be, this is, you know, this is one of the barriers that affects um, Indian women and especially women of color. Um, so, you know, having spoken to many girls, they say, oh, you know, my parents said, um, you know, engineering is it's you know it's a great career path 
And but maybe you should focus on, you know, becoming an engineer first and then focus on settling down. And then we'll think about becoming becoming an astronaut. And then you think about it, you think about it, you think about it. It never really happens unless you really put your mind to it and unless you're really working towards it. Um, and um, so these are just a couple of the barriers that, you know, it it's very hard. And I'm I'm very privileged, I would say. I I this is um me acknowledging the privilege that I have in being born to a family where my parents are able to support me and my parents are able, um, you know, to support me emotionally and financially. They're able to say, hey, you know, no matter where I, I remember my dad, when I told my dad of my dream to become an astronaut, he said, you take wherever the horizon leads you. And if the horizon is beyond the stars, then so be it. And um, I understand that this support doesn't necessarily come from all parents. And um, it is very distressing. It is very upsetting to know that a lot of girls, um, you know, their dream falls out very early on at a very young age when, you know, they when they realize that society isn't, you know, actively working to support them. And um, the divide between men and women in STEM, and STEM fields, especially in engineering, is so vast that that the number of um, the gender ratio in STEM classes can also be another reason why um, pursuing a STEM degree can sound very off-putting to women. And um, these are some of the things um, that I have seen are, you know, are stopping women from, you know, essentially pursuing STEM degrees or, you know, you know, um, planning on achieving long-term goals like becoming an astronaut. Um, and in recent years, there is a change. Um, a change is slowly starting to form. A change, the trend is um, slowly starting to move towards women, more and more women coming into STEM fields, especially with, you know, there are so many science communicators on social media that are, you know, out there just like, you know, um, spreading resources and giving people as much help as they can, um, giving them advice and, you know, giving them tips and like, you know, uh, on how to apply to universities and how to, um, you know, uh, essentially uh, reflect your best in applications and how to access resources that may not necessarily be um, available on the surface level uh, in order to, you know, uh, you know, consider jobs and, you know, consider STEM degrees to apply for. Um, and so we are starting to see a paradigm shift towards more and more women joining the STEM workforce. And uh, now the issue has become more of retaining these women in either, you know, STEM academia or the industry. Uh, and this comes, and if you want to re retain women in, you know, in, in industry or in academia, I believe that, you know, uh, most of this comes from forming an inclusive environment um, in industries and in companies, um, in, in classrooms, in universities, uh, because, while the norm has been very increasingly um, men so far, um, people have to work together to make women feel included. Women feel um, like they belong in classrooms and like they belong in the companies that they work at. And then we will see higher retention rates of women staying um, on in the STEM workforce. And um, I believe that, you know, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic person. Um, so I believe that um, the trend is changing and we are going to see more and more women join the workforce as the years go by. And um, and I would be so bold as to make a claim that a future where men and women are more or less evenly tied in engineering is not very far off. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, it's interesting that you have that view because 
things have changed so much in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you are so appreciative of the importance of inclusivity is so fascinating because um, I don't know if you were even alive when it, things were really actually quite bad. Like mm-hmm. um, STEM worlds were so homogenous um, and things have only got better with time. So um, thank you for pointing out the importance of inclusivity. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned your parents who sound absolutely amazing. Um, do you not then have that typical sort of like Asian expectation? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's a very, you know, perfectly understandable stereotype where it's like, oh, the Asian parent, you know, pushing uh, their kids to succeed. Uh, and honestly, I think it should be in every parent stereotype because who doesn't want their kid to succeed, right? Um, but uh, I know that Asians can be portrayed, you know, especially in media as like, oh, these cut- uh, cutthroat parents, like pushing their kids to do everything and achieve every single thing. Um, my parents, uh, they did lay a lot of importance on academics, I won't lie here, um, from a very young age. Uh, but my dad and uh, my dad really stressed the importance of soft skills. Um, so that's something that he did that I'm very grateful for, where he would always be like, okay, academics is great. You know, you can have A's, you can have straight A's. It would be great, but none of it would matter if, for example, you're not a good presenter, if you're not a good communicator. And, you know, he would focus on, he would tell me to speak as much as possible. And, you know, every time in family gatherings, I would, I would only be about 10 or 11 years old, but he would always ask me to speak up and involve myself in discussions along with the adults uh, where appropriate. And, um, you know, he would, he would always make me feel included in these discussions. And um, so from a very early age, uh, I was able to really practice my speaking skills and um, debate and public speaking are two things I've really enjoyed growing up in uh, school and I continue to enjoy it in college now. Um, So one thing that my parents did for me uh, was really emphasize soft skills. And, uh, you know, they would be like, academics is great, that's awesome, but you also need to have these vital skills that are important as a human being and not as an academic. Um, I remember my dad would also say, um, and this was more my mother as well, both my parents would say, you can spend a certain amount of hours on your academics, but make sure that you're also spending a certain amount of hours thinking about what you want to do in the future. Um, And when they would encourage me to, you know, set aside these, you know, thinking, you know, sort of times to sit and reflect on where I've come so far and what is what lies ahead of me, that really inspired me to start thinking about my career from a very young age. And uh, that inspired me to do a lot of research around, you know, becoming an engineer and becoming, you know, going into aerospace engineering, narrowing it down to aerospace engineering from all the different engineering disciplines there are, um, and eventually, you know, deciding on how I'm going to go about, you know, fulfilling this massive dream of wanting to become an astronaut. And uh, sure, every now and then when I call them, uh, they're back home in Dubai, every now and then when I call them, my mother's first question she asks me is, so how did, how's your GPA looking? So, of course, it's a very valid concern. And uh, I appreciate that my parents are there for me, both academically and also for me as a human being, uh, where they focus, where they supported me uh, in, you know, honing these other skills that are just as important um, as an as an engineering uh, student or just as a human being, I think. Yeah. Well, I must say your communication skills are exceptional. Um, (laughs) Like you just, you're so engaging to listen to. Um, So how has it been 
um, sort of dealing with the academic side because um, anyone listening to you may actually just go, oh, she's probably super smart. She's so great at communication. She's at NASA, like she's only 20. Like she's just one of these like exceptional prodigy type of people that I could never be. Um, you know, is there a secret to your success? Like what has happened behind the scenes for you to have reached uh, these levels of accomplishment? Honestly, um, there is no secret <laughs> and there's absolutely no secret to it. Uh, and I struggle just as all, just as all human beings struggle. I have doubts just as all human beings have doubts. And honestly, STEM, uh, I remember reading just this line somewhere on the internet um, last week. It's that STEM is hard for everyone. It's not just, you know, it's hard for a certain demographic of people. It's not, you know, just hard for a certain, oh, you have to be thinking a certain way. I know there are a lot of stereotypes. You have to be a certain type of nerd to understand, you know, physics, or you have to be really good at, uh, at math and only then will you succeed as an engineer. And I've heard all of these stereotypes and I found that the one factor and one factor alone that keeps people in like, you know, stay within a STEM degree. And honestly, everyone fails. Everyone goes through periods. I mean, who hasn't had a bad exam? I've had plenty of bad exams. And, you know, both in high school and in university, I have plenty of bad days. And I've had plenty of times where I've, where I've sat down and, you know, really thought about my future in this, in this career, really thought about my future in this degree. And I found that one thing and one thing alone is what keeps people going. And it, what is what leads to success. And it's persistence because unrewarded, you know, unrewarded talent is a thing. Unrewarded genius is also a thing. And persistence and determination are the two things alone that can get, get you through anything. And STEM is hard for everyone. Every single person that I've, I've ever met, every single person I've read about that has been in, in a STEM degree and being an engineer, I'm sure you yourself can attest to that. None of us are born geniuses. And even if someone carries themselves like a born genius, I can guarantee you they've had more, you know, questions of doubt. They've had more, um, you know, moments of struggle in their life than anyone else has. And I think it's getting up when, you know, things kick you down, when, you know, recovering from a bad exam is just as important as doing well in the, sec in, in the exams that come after that exam. And because when you lose the... Persistence, and when you sign, when you resign yourself as, oh, I'll never be good at it, and oh, I'll never, I'll never end up doing what I want to do, or I'll never end up, you know, getting this degree. When you resign yourself to that fact, that's when you know you slip down, and that's when you, you know, you feel like maybe a STEM, a STEM degree isn't the path for you. I think that everyone can succeed in STEM as long as they have the persistence, and um, that's the one thing that I've seen is what keeps most successful. It's, it's what I'm modeling my life off based off as well. When I see all of these successful engineering graduates, they all acknowledge that they've been through extremely hard points in their life, extremely, you know, having to deal with personal, I've, I've read stories where people have had to deal with personal circumstances while they deal with, you know, um, academic probation or, you know, um, a, you know, a, 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 a an, an exponentially dropping GPA. Um, I've, I've read stories like this. And the one thing that got them back up and and to where they are right now, you know, as an engineer or, you know, pursuing multiple degrees 
is that they were persistent, is that they kept going in the face of all adversity. They said, hey, I mean, even if this beats me, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep working hard. And uh, I know that, you know, I've, I've read stories of astronauts um, who didn't do so well in math and physics when they were in high school, who got straight B's in um, algebra. And uh, but they just kept going. They kept going in the face of all adversity. They told themselves, I'm going to get better at this. I'm not better at it now, but I'm never going to get better at it unless I keep pushing myself and unless I keep working hard, unless I keep looking for resources that can help me. And they kept pushing and they made it. And um, I think there's no secret at all to doing well in a STEM degree because it's hard for everyone. Every single person struggles with it. And the one thing that keeps people going is persistence. I mean, honestly, I want to high five you there. High five. Um, <laughs> Because, um, well, I think it's actually selfish. You really made me realize something about myself. So thank you so much because, um, you know, women in STEM can be kind of intimidating. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes it can feel like those women are kind of unreachable. They're like a breed of their own because maybe they were just really really clever in stem subjects and 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 actually um i've kind of faced that where people are like oh my god you've got your qualifications in engineering like you must just be someone very different but actually all i had was persistence and i just worked really hard Mm-hmm. Like I, I, you know, I wasn't particularly, ta- I was terrible at maths um, at school, but I just worked really hard. And I don't often give myself credit for just how hard I worked. So mm-hmm. thank you for reminding me of that. But I think it's also really um, such a great message, whether you're in STEM or not, because, yeah. you know, in life, and, and you just embody this, which is you are so clear of your life goals that you're just like making an absolute straight line kind of uh, dash towards where you want to get to. And, um, you know, the fact that that is fueled by persistence and um, a lack of fear of um, kind of failure, I guess. I mean, I just get the impression from you that if something doesn't quite go to plan, you're like, okay, cool. How do I fix this? Which is so typically an engineering brain. Um, so, I mean, you know, thank you for saying what you've said because um, you've just become more human to me. Because I'm like, I totally relate to you. Like, you know, you just really know what you want and you're going for it. It's so inspiring. Um, so my question to you then is why should women choose STEM I understand why you chose STEM Mm -hmm. because of your goals but why is it important for more women to choose STEM I think women well first off um you have to have the passion for it and nothing comes out of oh I just want to do it because it's there if you really want to succeed in the field you're in you have to have passion for it and this is something I, you know, passion is something I'm, I'm very, um, like, I'm very clear on, you know, passion is something, yeah, you definitely need passion, because without passion, you won't have this kind of persistence. It's because I'm passionate about, you know, 
attaining this goal someday and helping, you know, inspire people on this journey as I go towards that goal. Because I have this passion, I'm able to get up whenever like, you know, life knocks me down or whenever uh, a failure knocks me down, I'm able to get up and say, okay, what's next or what's plan B. And if you don't have that passion, if you don't have something to drive you, then there will be points where it becomes very difficult to overcome it, uh, overcome a failure because you'll be struggling to find the mindset to overcome that failure. And, and, and when you struggle to find that mindset that can, so that can slow you down in preparing for the act for the next obstacle. Um, and there will, you know, undoubtedly be a lot of obstacles that you will have to overcome, um, in your degree in STEM. And as I'm learning, as I, as I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still not finished. I'm still only just beginning my second year in September. And, uh, I'm still learning about all of the obstacles, you know, just in, in my first year, I've learned of many, and I know that there are many to come in the next three years as well. And, um, so if you don't have the passion it's going to be extremely hard, if not exponentially impossible for you to get through and, you know, become successful in the field that you want to um, go into. So I think women should go into STEM when, you know, point one, case point, case in point, they are passionate. They need to be passionate about it. And secondly, because we need women's brains in STEM, because uh, again, I mentioned, you know, inclusivity early, earlier on in this conversation, we need different brains. And this is something I learned in my very first engineering ethics class that I took, you know, literally in introduction to engineering. That was the name of the class. That was the very first engineering class I took in my life um, in my first semester of college. And there was a small section of that class dedicated to why inclusivity and, uh, and you know, diversity in engineering is important. And it was the first time that I understood um, you know, the world of difference it can make when you have all of these different mindsets from different places, different ways of thinking, you know, come together to solve a design problem. And I saw this from experience. I worked my very first engineering team uh, was a was an equal split. It was a 50. Uh, we were four people in a team and uh, there were two boys and two girls, including myself. And um, I saw the world of difference it could make when you have, you know, uh, women adding ideas just on the same table that men are as well. And uh, while the boys, you know, would try and take lead in the, in, I remember in the beginning of uh, sort of working with that team, the boys would try to take lead, which is, you know, I, you know, everyone wants to take lead. It's quite natural. And uh, the boys would try and take lead and they would try and um, leave um, myself and the other girl uh, in sort of the back burner. But then they realized how much more successful we could make a project when they included our opinions and when they let us be in the lead as well. And um, our final design review, uh, it was myself and uh, the other girl with me that, that did most of the presentation. And um, we ended up becoming one of the most outstanding teams in our class of um, over 100 students. And, you know, I believe it was like 27 different teams. Uh, we came out as one of the most outstanding teams. And I and myself and her, we were the outstanding students of the class because we were given that opportunity to, to shine. And because we were, you know, we felt included in, in that environment. And uh, as we see the culture, you know, uh, as I mentioned, the paradigm shift towards including more women, including more under underrepresented minorities in engineering fields, 
Um, we see all these different mindsets coming together to solve a design problem, to think about problems in ways that have never been imagined before. Because every single idea that someone puts on the table, especially in an engineering team, comes from their own learned experiences. It comes from, you know, their experiences of similar problems they may have encountered in their in their um in their life so far it may come from uh their understanding of the problem it, it can come from um the way they've seen uh people in their communities handle problems like this and when all of these different people when all of these so you know we have so many unique brains on the table offer ideas that's your design solution becomes all the more better and you know this was a very engineering uh oriented sort of answer and um i think you know you can apply it to most of life as well um when you have all of these different brains coming together to solve the problem it makes your solution well number one all the more interesting and number two all the more viable of an option because you know everyone has such a different idea and you know each different idea tackles the problem in such a unique way and you know figuring out and it, when you work with uh people that you know aren't uh, aren't necessarily as highly represented in engineering fields when you see the kind of ideas they come up with it can be amazing because it's like that never occurred to me that would have never occurred to me in a million years because their experience is so different from the one that you've lived um up till now and which is what makes their ideas so different and when you hear about ideas like that you know that's what makes your um you know the challenge seem a lot more easier uh and we need more women for this absolute reason because we have ideas that um that other men may not necessarily have that other uh majorities represented in engineering um very overwhelmingly very overwhelmingly may not have and um women of color especially women from these underrepresented minorities um they may have ideas that you know the world has never seen before these ideas have the potential to change the world to change the progression of our species as we know it and when you understand the impact that your ideas can make um as a woman that's when you know you feel motivated and you know all of these things are tied together in a very beautiful way that's when you understand when you realize the change you can make that's when you understand um your passion for towards a problem towards solving um you know a massive um issue in our in our society today and that's when you start working towards it um we need more women in stem because we need more um unique ideas we need more unique ideas that the world has never seen before that i am willing to bet is in the brain of every woman who has ever considered engineering at some point in her life wow i god i love your message it's so badass and it's so the future you know like you are describing the change that's happening and it's mm -hmm. so exciting like the vision you're creating of things to come is really the world i want to live in um mm -hmm. because it's a place where women are regarded you know they are they are valid they are significant they are equal they bring significance to the table you know they 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 are not ignored any longer um mm -hmm. And, and that's such a beautiful vision of the future. Um, so my final question to you would be how, because I see you as a very empowered woman, okay? You're just 20, but you are so empowered in what you know you bring to this world. And my God, 
even just that alone is like it describes the shift that's happening in society with regards to gender and 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 underrepresented ethnicities um but my final question to you is how as a woman who does get the opportunity to be empowered in stem how do you see it working that women juggle both motherhood relationships a badass career you know like we have so much on our plates as empowered women how does it work in the future that will be yours one day it's a lot of well with great power comes great responsibility um i think i think it's amazing that you know i i see stories of um recently the first um Mexican-born women went to space, uh, Katya Echezareta. And um, she spoke a little bit about how she juggles all of these different things. And it was really inspiring to me because as you said, <coughs> I'm only 20. I've, I still have a long way to go in my life. And right now, um, the biggest things I'm juggling are, you know, academics and uh, m- my college, you know, my finances. Those are, and relationships as well. Uh, and those those are three really big things. And motherhood, certainly, you know, when I hear of other women um, juggling, you know, a stable career, I, you know, I, I see stories of women at NASA, you know, with families and, you know, uh, during the weekends, they, you know, they take care of their children, they take them out to these parties. And, and during the week, they're working as, you know, flight operations director. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's crazy amazing. And um, I, it's amazing. And I really think um, I'm still like, you know, at that stage in my life where, because I don't have the experience yet of, you know, I don't have the experience of being a mother. I don't have an experience of having to juggle um, really important relationships. You know, right now, the most significant relationships in my life are the ones I have with my, um, my mentors, my friends and my parents. And um, so I still don't know what it takes to juggle all of those relationships. But I can, if I can tell you one thing, it's that it looks really hard. And honestly, kudos to all of the women that are doing it. It's, it's crazy amazing, as I said. And, um, and when I see other women do it, it empowers me as well. Empowered women empower other women, right? And when I see these women do it, um, that tells me, hey, I mean, if they can do it, because that's, that's pretty much what I've based all my dreams off, which is, if other women can do it, then I can go just as far. And I, if, if not, I can go, I can go much further than that, which is what I tell, you know, people um, that I, that I hope to inspire as well. Hey, if I can go this far, then you can go 10 miles as far and you can go, you know, just, you, you can go exponentially farther than I have, than I can ever even imagine of. And um, when I see women, you know, juggle all of these things while also, you know, as you said, um, badass careers, it's amazing. And they make it look so easy. They make it look so doable and so simple, um, which is really the contrary of what it it actually must be. And uh, honestly, a massive salute. And it's great that society is working on finding more ways to um, include women, especially who are juggling all of these different things to retain them in the workforce. And, you know, you know, we find solutions like you know, something as simple as daycare uh, to take care of children while um, the, you know, parents are out working. Um, it's great that as a society, we're coming together to find solutions for these women, to find solutions for these, you know, parents who are juggling um, careers and, uh, you know, amazing, like super 
specific uh, super technical careers and, um, you know, taking care of children. It's amazing that we're finding solutions. And as I said, you know, I am an optimistic person. So the trend is moving very rapidly towards, you know, uh, juggling all of these different things. So as the trend goes, society will work on finding ways to make it um, easier on uh, the person, you know, uh, having to shoulder all of these burdens, shoulder all of these, um, uh, you know, many things in their life. Uh, it will definitely become easier for them as time goes on. And when I see women like these achieving these things, it tells me, you know, the sky sure isn't the limit. For sure it isn't when there are footprints on the moon. And um, I, uh, I'm i definitely empowered when I hear stories of women like this. And uh, I, I tell other girls, hey, you can do whatever you want to do in this life. If you want to become a mother and if you want to become a scientist at the same time, you can do it. And uh, I still, I, you know, something something crazy that I can mention is um, I I really enjoy acting. And uh, I've, I've, you know, a small part of me has always also wanted to go on Broadway. And uh, when I won the Mars Generations 24 under 24 um, uh, Young Representatives and, you know, Ambassadors of STEM Award uh, in 2020, uh, I remember the description of me was um, she wants to become an actress on Broadway and an astronaut in space at the same time. And hey, if, if she wants to do it, then, you know, why not? If she wants to have dreams as big as as big as the planet, why not? And these things are doable. And when you have passion for something, you'll make time for it. You'll find time for it. And um, I, I, you know, it, it definitely isn't as crazy as it sounds. You can definitely juggle these things. And uh, I have a, you know, great deal of respect for women who can do it. Um, and I look forward to the time because I can see um, women doing it right now. I look forward to the time when I will have to, you know, juggle those responsibilities myself. And um, it, it makes the future seem all the more brighter because if these women are doing it effortlessly, then I can do it half as effortlessly as them. <laughs> well, you know what? Like, I feel like we've come full circle because we started the conversation with saying the sky is not the limit. And in hearing you, it's clear that if you have dreams you simply have to persist and just keep going with it because um you'll get there and and your enthusiasm and your drive and your determination just really proves that you know whatever it is that you want you can get you know nothing holds us back apart from ourselves and um you know you will come across challenges like all of us have um in life because that's just the story of life you know we we come across obstacles and we figure out how to overcome them um and in hearing you uh I just feel like what is so important is something that you mentioned quite early on is just um support like you know here you are working so hard to fulfill your dreams and I really feel like what um will make you get there is not just you but the network you have around you who are cheering you on and you have absolutely every reason to be cheered on because you are such a formidable woman um and I'm so honored that you came on this series to share your experiences and and your dreams and um yeah I'll be following you to just see you. where you go because you are the role model that 
we have all really needed in STEM. And um, so, yeah, I can't wait to see what you do next. I'm glad to hear that. And thank you so much for having me. This was a really fun conversation to have. And um, for me as well, it was, you know, a moment of reflection of how far I've come in. I mean, it's it's, it's been almost a year since I moved to the US to pursue my studies. And um, this conversation was a way for me to reflect on, um, you know, how far I've come and how far of, um, you know, how, how, how many more miles there still are to be walked. Uh, so thank you so much for having me on here. I was honored to be on your podcast as well. And uh, I hope, you know, I definitely hope that this message reaches um, a young woman's mind and tells her that the sky is the limit. Thanks for listening. And please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews and the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery, self-evolution and inclusivity on innovation. Let's all strive to be in the best versions of ourselves and celebrate others being themselves too. As always, be kind and loving, and I wish you all a great week.